It's great that uh, you're welcoming me and us into your living room this morning. Uh, I hope you're warm, hope you're safe, and I'm really thankful for the option we have of going live stream and that being something that a lot of us are already comfortable with and we can just kind of shift into that. I didn't say pivot because I don't like that word anymore, but we shifted in, but then I did say pivot, so eh. Anyway, my name's Jim Hinkle. I'm the executive minister here at Sycamore View. Uh, Josh Ross is our lead minister. He's uh, speaking in Kansas City, Missouri this weekend, and uh, he'll hopefully be back in Memphis uh, safe and sound uh, later today. Um, just want to give a special shout out to the, the praise team, to the tech crew. We had a few folks who couldn't get out. We had a few folks who had COVID. So we've got people just stepping up uh, all over the place, and we really appreciate it. Um, special shout out to Kip, the birthday boy, uh, the, uh, the longest tenured minister on our staff, and uh, the oldest minister on our staff. So am I right? Yeah, I know you can't hear me anymore, but that's all right. Because <laughs> I'm not too far behind you and I can't see you without these. So anyway, it's uh, Kip, we love you. You're an in incredible leader and uh, just being in, the, in this room and in this space uh, to worship alongside you on a weekly basis, whether there's 10 people or uh, 1,000 people, uh, it's, it's a real blessing to be with you. So thank you. Um, so uh, we are, we're, we're in a month of commitment where we're talking about the, the five commitments. You heard Anna just refer to it, uh, but we're, we're asking people to take, take a step in their process of becoming more like Jesus. And we, we have a disciple, discipleship process that we've created here at Sycamore View over the years. We call it the five commitments, and we ask you to discover, connect, serve, give, and go. And we ask you to do that in the context of community and in a, with the presence of a shepherd so that that shepherd and you can have a rapport and a relationship where you can walk through those five commitments where we ask you as a, as a member, uh, we, we think if you'll do these five things, it can help each of us take that next step in becoming more like Jesus. So we want you to discover, show up when the church is gathered and be fully present and ready to engage and be a part of a lifelong journey of discipleship, not just a moment in time, but throughout life. We want you to connect. Uh, we want you to have fellowship with a group that's smaller than the, the whole congregation, but we want there to be some level of intimacy as a part of your spiritual life. We want you to serve. We want you to find a place, uh, a ministry team to support or partner with or engage with and try to help our church do things that uh, reflect the servant heart of Jesus. We want you to give uh, because Jesus talks a lot about money. He talks a lot about generosity. And a cheerful giver is somebody who I think has a special place in the kingdom. And it's not really, uh, God doesn't need our stuff, but he knows we need to let go of some of our, our stuff. And so we ask that you give cheerfully. We want you to go because all of us, all of us who have claimed Jesus as Lord and Savior, all of us who have been uh, immersed in baptism, and taking on the name and the life of Jesus, we live out the great commission that he gave to his disciples, to his apostles. And so that looks different for everybody. Uh, whatever room you're watching from this morning, the way you live out the great commission is going to be different than the way I live out the great commission, but all of us need to do that. And so at the end of the month, as, uh, as Anna said, we will have a commitment Sunday where we'll ask people to, to take that step. Um, and fill out commitment cards or refill out commitment cards. And we're working really hard to try to provide uh, tangible, 
identifiable pathways to connect and to serve. COVID has been a real challenge to be able to do that, but uh, I'm excited about what's coming up. So that, that is kind of where we are as a congregation. And <clears throat> this morning, I want to focus on our mission statement and our five commitments, our core values, our vision of awakening to the greatness of Jesus. All that follows under, falls under this, helping people see Jesus. It's so simple. And I remember I was in a long ministry meeting uh, when I first got here about a year into uh, when I moved here in 2005. And I heard the phrase, helping people see Jesus. And I thought, that's, that's fine, but that's not that compelling to me. And I remember how we started talking about the story of Zacchaeus. And we started talking about Luke 19 and how he climbed a sycamore tree. And that our physical address at Sycamore View Road is 1910. And Luke 1910 is the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And all these things just came together. And I was like, this is an awesome mission statement. Like, I'm, I'm on board. And so this morning, I hope just for a moment, maybe some of that uh, inspiration and enthusiasm that I think comes from the Word uh, will come to us as a congregation, wherever we are. We're scattered this morning, uh, but I think God wants to do great things through the story of Jesus and what he did with Zacchaeus. So, Luke 19, 1 through 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Let's pray together. God, I pray that your word speaks this morning, that the life of Jesus takes on a life of its own in the hearts, in the minds of all who are gathered in our presence this morning. Thank you for helping us see that we can be a part of helping others see Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. So as we walk through this message this morning, we're just going to stay in Luke 19 the whole time. And I just want to give you three keys, three truths, and three things I think we as a church can do to help people see Jesus. So first, I just want to talk through quickly three keys that I think help unlock the story. First of all, I don't think Zacchaeus and I would be friends. And I don't think you and Zacchaeus would be friends either. Uh, Zacchaeus was uh, what we would call a jerk. And we call him some other names. And if Zoe is listening at home, I apologize. Dad just said a bad word. But uh, it's okay, because it was about a bad guy, right? But we learned that Zacchaeus is a chief tax collector. And so a tax collector was not a popular person in an occupied territory, which is what Jericho was, which is what Judea was. They were occupied by the Romans. 
And so these were the people who went and collected taxes and then they paid the Roman government. But they were Jews who did it. So these were countrymen who were collecting money and making money off the backs of their own countrymen during a time of occupation and paying back uh, the occupied powers. So imagine if you would, Canada comes, takes us over, and I sign up to be a tax collector. And so I'm coming around to the Americans and I'm just uh, making bank uh, for the Canadian occupiers. It's kind of funny to think about, isn't it? Uh, I was trying to choose a real neutral country though. So, uh, and, and not only was he a tax collector, but he was a chief tax collector. So he was a guy who was not just kind of a, a low rung guy, but he was a top dog in the whole broken system that for sure was a system of uh, oppression. It was a system that was unhealthy. It was a system of corruption. And Zacchaeus was front and center. He was the lead guy in this. So he and I, <clears throat> I, I would have had trouble being his friend and I probably wouldn't have wanted to be his friend. And it doesn't seem like he has a lot of friends from this uh, story. And, and we'll see as we go on, uh, which is point number two, um, the crowd will always decide who's in and out. And the crowd has already passed their judgment on Zacchaeus. I think there's an intentionality in Luke's wording when he said, Zacchaeus cannot get to see Jesus because of the crowd. The crowd was an obstacle to seeing Jesus. The crowd were, and when Zacchaeus does some good stuff, when he's, uh, when he's connecting with Jesus, the crowd was like, that guy? <laughs> it, it can't be that guy. But it is that guy. And so the crowd determines who's in and who's out. But despite Zacchaeus's riches and his power, the crowd has still said, he's out. And then they pile on after Zacchaeus does something good and he connects with Jesus. Like, it can't be that guy. So I think it's important that in this story, we think about, we know who Zacchaeus is, we know who the crowd is and how they're interacting. And then just this, this idea that when Jesus shows up, things happen. And, and this is true in all the Gospels, but whenever Jesus shows up somewhere, things change. People have to respond to Jesus. There's not a neutrality in the, in the presence of Jesus. So when Jesus shows up, Zacchaeus climbs a tree. And I, I don't know what you have in your mind's eye about that moment, but a grown man climbing a tree is not a cool thing. <laughs> it, it's not a graceful thing. It's not something where, you know, somebody in the crowd is going to be like, that's a cool guy. This is, a, this is a, an act of humiliation. It's an act of desperation. And it really just kind of shows you that, that lostness, lost, the power of being lost is more powerful in that moment than the, the power of social standing or social etiquette or trying to fit in with the crowd. Like Zacchaeus was at that point where he just didn't care. So Jesus shows up, the crowd gathers, there's people everywhere, they're judging, and Zacchaeus changes his life. And for the first time, probably, we don't know the story of his life, but he finds fulfillment in what he's giving away instead of what he's taking in. And I, I love that. If Jesus shows up and for the first time, as far as we know, in Zacchaeus' life, he finds fulfillment and he finds meaning in what he gives away instead of what he takes in. And I just think about 
kind of our sacramental theology, when we think about being in the presence of Jesus, we talk about his, his presence, his special presence at the table when we take the, the bread and the cup, the body and the blood of Jesus. When Jesus shows up, things happen. We meet Jesus in the waters of baptism. We connect with him. We are claimed by him, just like the Father claimed him. This is my son whom I'm, whom I'm well pleased in, in that baptismal moment. We are claimed and lives are changed. And so sometimes I just, I kind of ask myself rhetorically, man, if, if I'm showing up and nothing's happening, am I helping people see Jesus? Because Jesus brings power. And so when we help people see Jesus, there's got to be stuff. There's got to be change that happens. Those are three keys that I think help unlock some of the truths of this story. So three things about Jesus in this story that I love. Number one, he went places on purpose. Jesus went places on purpose. You know, before GPSs, a lot of us got lost a lot. Now when we get lost, it's only because Siri tells us we're going, you know, it was her fault, right? And not ours. But Jesus knew where he was. And in this story, Jesus is on his way somewhere. He's on his way to Jerusalem. And he's just finished in Luke 18 saying, I'm about to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be handed over. I'm going to be killed. And then I will come back from the dead. It seems extremely plain and simple to us, right? But somehow it was still kind of all gray and fuzzy to the apostles, to his disciples, to these crowds that were gathering. But Jesus went places on purpose. He was on his way to Jerusalem for a purpose. He was on his way to die so that others might live. And so Jericho is on the way. And I love this because the text says that he was just passing through in verse 1. But by the end of this story, actually midway through the story, Jesus has changed his plans. He says, I've actually, I need to stay here. It's a theological must. It's not a geographical must. He didn't have to stay in Jericho overnight. It wasn't so long of a journey to get on Jerusalem that he had to rest. He knew that he needed to spend some time fleshing out what was happening in the life of Zacchaeus. And so he went places on purpose. Number two, he had perfect eyesight. Jesus saw exactly who he was supposed to see at the time he was supposed to see because his mission was to seek and to save the lost. So when he walks into a city and there's, I don't know if it's dozens, I don't know if it's hundreds, but there's a throng of people, love that word, don't know how many it means, but there's a throng of people and they're crowded around and there's this one guy in a tree and that's who he sees and that's who he calls out. Jesus had perfect eyesight. And not only did he see Zacchaeus as the guy in the tree, which I think just had to be a weird sight, right? Um, but he sees the man who is in the tree. It, it's not just a, a guy, it is the person. He sees the soul. He sees in Zacchaeus, and I don't know how much interaction he's had with Zacchaeus. We'll talk about that in just a second. But he sees that there's something in him beyond the surface. I started this by saying Zacchaeus and I probably wouldn't be friends because I'm more shallow than Jesus and so are you, right? We're all, we're all more superficial, less patient than Jesus. But Jesus sees the outside and somehow he's able to peel back and see that that is really a person. It's not just a chief tax collector or whatever stereotype you want to put on that person. 
And I think about this. We've mentioned a couple times today, this is Martin Luther King weekend, and so we, we celebrate all that he did for civil rights and for racial reconciliation and for justice. And one of you know, his, his big Memphis moment, other than his assassination, he was here for the sanitation strike. And the, the most poignant picture or image, maybe of all the civil rights uh, movement, was the, the sanitation strike here in Memphis where people carried signs that simply said, I am a man. And with that one phrase, they ceased, or at least provided the opportunity to be seen as just a sanitation worker wanting more wages or better working conditions. This became about, I am a human, see me as a person. And that, that's what Jesus does in this moment. He looks at Zacchaeus and he sees Zacchaeus doesn't have a sign, I am a man on, obviously, but there's, almost, there's some recognition of the humanity that's in Zacchaeus that Jesus sees because he has perfect eyesight. And this last thing about Jesus, he begins with belonging. Jesus began with belonging. I, I love this story. When you read through the first few verses, uh, Jesus in verse 5, Jesus reached the spot. He looked up with his perfect eyesight and he said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I'm going to stay at your house today. Up to that point, what has Zacchaeus done other than rip off people and climb a tree like a crazy man? Like, there's no indication that there's been any positive change. There's, there's no indication on the outside that he's, he's pre-repentant. I know Jesus sees things that we don't, and there's a whole level of understanding that he has, and eyesight that he has that we can't. But, I mean, up to this point, there were so many things Jesus, I'm sure, had to say to Zacchaeus about his life and what was wrong with it. Because Jesus, he's, he's got deeply held convictions about how you live and how you treat people. And Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus was not fitting into that mold. And what he starts with is he just pushes all that away and he says, in front of everybody, I, I'm going to your house today kind of comes across a little presumptive, right? Like I've, Jesus invited himself over, but by, by Zacchaeus' reaction, it, it was a cool self-invite, right? Um, so it, it's amazing to me that he starts, he calls Zacchaeus by name, and he sets up this plan to enter the home, and then he changes his plans, which I've already mentioned. Instead of passing through, he decided to stay probably the night. I, I think of one of these stories where I saw Jesus uh, in my dad. I was a little kid, and I don't remember. Stacy can tell you guys, like I mess up the details of stories all the time from my childhood. So this is probably 63.5% accurate, but I was living in Janesville, Wisconsin, which is where I was born, and I was only three years old, but <clears throat> I wanted to go to Happy Joe's, and Happy Joe's was a pizza place and at this pizza place, you could get an ice cream sundae, and they put a little plastic monkey on your cup. How awesome is that? A little plastic monkey for free. It just came with the ice cream. Mind blown. And so 
I remember in my mind's eye, 63% accurate, and my mom and dad aren't watching this, so uh, no one can prove, say any differently, but I remember wanting to go to Happy Joe's, and I remember my dad being tired. He was a preacher. He was tired. Dad was in his pajamas, and I remember him seeing me ask for, Papa, for Happy Joe's, and he went and changed his clothes and came out, and we went to Happy Joe's. And I just remember, so regardless of the factuality of that story, like it's got power in my life. It's got power because my dad changed plans, and what he said was, you're worth changing plans over. And so Jesus shows up, and while Zacchaeus is this terrible guy, he calls him by name, he changes his plans, and he makes plans for them to spend time together. He says, you belong. You have a place. So, <clears throat> if that's who Jesus is in this story, what are some ways we can help people see Jesus? Because we're not Jesus, right? We're the tree in the story. We're not Zacchaeus in the story. According to our Sycamore View metaphor and our mission statement, we are the people that hopefully others can climb up on and they can see Jesus. So what we do with our lives demonstrates the truth of these things we've seen about Jesus. So three things, how we can be good trees. Number one, know why we are here. And, and I'm, this is a communal thing. This is not an individualistic thing. This is as a church. Know why we're here. Because oh, I already talked about how Jesus went places on purpose. Our address is 1910 Sycamore View Road. Luke 1910 says that Jesus, the Son of Man, came to seek and to save the lost. That's who we are. We began a congregation of worshipers in this physical location in 1978, and the mission statement is the same in 2022, right? It's to seek and to save the lost. That's what we're supposed to be about. That's what this church was started for. Jesus went to Jericho on purpose. He was on his way to Jerusalem. That had purpose. And we are here on purpose. That's why in 2005, when the majority of our congregation lived farther out east, there was like a split-second discussion about, should we move? And it was almost an immediate no. We're here on purpose, with purpose, for a purpose. One of our core values is that we are passionate about connecting people to God. That's what we're here to do. We are here to connect this neighborhood to God. And when you look around, there are some, there are some real big challenges that we have in our neighborhood. Uh, if you go up and down Sycamore View, every single time you go up and down, you see multiple homeless people and your heart breaks and you get frustrated all in the same moment, right? You want to help and then you're also wondering, why is it like that? Why are they like that? And so you, you come up and down the road and you have this angst because we are not in a sanitized neighborhood or community where needs are pushed to the side. They are right there on the street corner and they've got a sign and they've got a face and they've got a name. I think last week there were shootings down the street at AutoZone and then right across at O'Reilly's, same night, same thing. And there's lots of other points I can, I can bring out and say, man, there's a lot of reasons 
to be out of this neighborhood because there's a lot of sad, scary stuff. We can't park our church van on the parking lot right now because the, the uh, catalytic converter got stolen twice in two weeks. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Am I mad about it? Yes. But it's all the more reason we need to stay right here where we are. 1910 Sycamore View Road, far beyond the wisdom and the foresight of the, the church that came from Jackson Avenue in 1978, they didn't know 45 years down the road, this is where we were going to be, but this is where we are. And we have such a purpose to serve in this neighborhood. And if Sycamore View is going to be a tree that helps people see Jesus, then we've got to care enough about who's out there to change what's going on in here. If, if we're really going to be a neighborhood for the community, we have to, with open minds and open hands, think about what's happening in here, inside our church, not building so much as church family. How do we interact? Are there obstacles that we're putting up that make it really hard for the people out there to be a part of what's in here? Because this is the good stuff, right? Being on the end with Jesus, that's where life, that's where vibrancy, that's where fulfillment comes from. And so that's what we want for people. So if Sycamore View is going to be a tree that helps people see Jesus, we've got to care enough about people out there to be willing to change or adapt what's going on in here. Number two, if we're going to help people see Jesus as a church, we've got to see what Jesus sees. Most of us, if we had seen Zacchaeus, we would have seen an enemy. That's why I started basically with a confession saying, I wouldn't have been friends with that guy. And how many of us, <clears throat> we start when somebody does something oppositional to us or the way we think or the way we process things, they're the enemy. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus was Zacchaeus. He peered into a soul. He, he saw a gaping hole that the world had created in him. And I just think if in my own life, when I think about prejudices or likes and dislikes, and, you know, sometimes they're real simple. Like I think back to high school. I grew up in Nebraska. I went to a high school called York, and we played a high school in Seward, Nebraska. And if you think Seward sounds a little bit like sewer, so did York High School students. And so whenever they were our arch, our arch rivals, and whenever we would play a game against them, the, 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 uh, the crowd would cheer, river rats, river rats, ooh, ah, like, you know, this team just came up out of the sewer. I don't know if you think it's good, but I thought it was great in the 80s and 90s. And there, there was this one kid named Chad. And Chad was the best player on their football team. He was the best player on their basketball team. And he and I were always covering each other or playing against each other in football and basketball from seventh grade all the way through high school. And I hated Chad. <laughs> he was the worst because he was a river rat, because he played for a group. He was the leader of a group that I loved to hate. And then we went to this camp together at the University of Nebraska between or after my senior year and I actually met Chad instead of just covered him in a sport. I hate to say it, Chad, he was not a jerk. He was actually a pretty decent guy and we almost became friends. I didn't let my heart go that far, but 
<clears throat> when Jesus sees when Jesus sees a person, he sees be all he sees past all that superficial stuff that we put up and say and, and allow ourselves to disconnect or uh, be distant from somebody. And <clears throat> just like I became friends with a river rat, Jesus takes those people or those places or those groups that we really take comfort in, that we're not like them, and he slaps the face of humanity and puts a soul on them. And he says, what do you see and who do you see? So if Sycamore View is going to be a tree that helps people see Jesus, we are called to see a soul, to listen compassionately to a story, and even love our enemies. Because that's what Jesus did. I mean, I, I feel like the church is fighting this battle right now between loving our enemies and choosing to obliterate our enemies. The, the church is in a battle for its own soul right now, and there's this incredible, incredibly powerful, influential stream in Christianity that is just about mowing down people who think anything differently, different from Christians. That's a whole nother sermon. I'll let Josh handle the rest of that. But if we're, if we're going to be a tree that helps people see Jesus as a church, we're called to see a soul, to listen to a story, and love our enemies. Last. For us to be a tree that helps people see Jesus, we're going to have to begin with belonging. Even though Jesus might have had lots to say, like I mentioned, about Zacchaeus' life, he doesn't start with judgment. Instead, he starts by seeing Zacchaeus, by calling his name, and choosing to spend time with him. If you ever wanted a plan of evangelism, that's it. See a person, know their name, and spend time with them. At times, we might feel like we have to start by correcting people's errors, or we might somehow be justifying someone's behavior we see as sinful, but, but Jesus didn't. I mean, Jesus starts with Zacchaeus, and he doesn't justify the fact that he was ripping people off and that he had become wealthy on the backs of other countrymen through corruption and through greed. And so uh, if, if Jesus doesn't start with that with Zacchaeus, why do we feel like we have to start with how you are different, how you are wrong and I am right when we have a conversation? And again, as a church... There's so many reasons right now, more than ever it seems like, to, to be different from people. And Christians are different. So I know there's two sides to this story, but it seems like Jesus begins with belonging. A big question that I've been asking about the church and myself lately is what course of action will be more likely to convince someone that they are loved by Jesus? What is more likely to convince somebody that they're loved by Jesus? I think that's a, a really good question. And I think it drastically affects how we as a church, how we as Christians, interact with people who feel differently than us. Because I'm convinced of this. I'm convinced that if somebody knows that they are loved by Jesus, that Jesus can work out all the kinks. I, I think of, you know, this morning... Uh, Seth and Jenna King led us through our, our core value-focused prayer time, and they did a great job, and I appreciate them and their heart so much. 
I loved him for a lot of reasons. One of the reasons I love Seth is because he was my son Josh's cross-country and track coach. And Josh, uh, he started cross-country kind of late in life um, and started running his sophomore year in high school. And we did, nobody knew it, but we were like, hey, he's actually pretty fast. <laughs> so it was kind of this cool surprise to everybody. And so he had had a good season, and then he went to the, the district meet. And Josh, he didn't tell anybody because he's not a good communicator. He's always thinking things up in his head. But he had decided to just go as fast as he possibly could in that last race and just see what he could do. And so Josh takes off. And if you've ever been to a cross-country meet, you know there's like every five minutes you see somebody for about 30 seconds as they run through the woods or they come up over a hill or something. And so I remember coming out of like the first half mile, we expected Josh maybe to be in the top 20. Josh was in first place. <laughs> Stacy and I looked at each other we're like, what? what is happening? <laughs> and Josh was going faster than he had ever gone at a cross-country meet. He comes through the first mile. Josh is first. He comes through the first mile and a half. Josh is first. He gets to the second mile. Josh wasn't first anymore. <laughs> and then uh, by the, 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 in cross-country, they run a 5K, so it's just over three miles. And so by the time Josh got to the finish line, he was clearly out of contention for any kind of medal or placing, and he actually had one of his worst times of the season. And it was kind of heartbreaking, but we also thought, like, that was pretty cool. He went for it. Uh, and so we went home. We were a little disappointed for Josh. He's a sophomore in high school. He was pretty quiet. He's pretty bummed out. And uh, he was up in his bedroom, and we got this knock on the door. This is after the, after the meet, like an hour or two. And it's Seth. And he said, hey, is Josh here? And we're like, yeah. He said, can I talk to him? He said, sure. He's upstairs. So Seth goes up, and he talks to him. And I don't know what the content of their conversation was, but I know what the spirit was. The spirit was, man, I love you. You tried, and we're going to get better. We're going to grow from this. And so, <clears throat> and Josh be went on to become an all-straight cross-country guy and ran in college and is super fast. And a lot of it, I think, is because in that moment when he could, it could, was kind of a make-or-break moment, his coach walked into that space and said, man, I love you. You're part of this team. You belong. And so from there on out, Josh was running in the safety of belongingness. And I think spiritually, the same thing can be said. And so if Sycamore View is going to be a tree that helps people see Jesus, we will be relentlessly committed to saying and doing things that will convince people that Jesus loves them instead of spending our time trying to get them to be more like us. If Sycamore View is going to be a tree that helps people see Jesus, we're going to spend our time, we're going to be relentlessly committed to trying to say things and do things that convince people that Jesus loves them, not hates them. Jesus is for them, not against them. And Jesus may be against behaviors. He has very strong convictions about things, but he loves everyone. And if somebody doesn't feel beloved by Jesus, it is our mission as sycamore trees to let them know that they are, in fact, loved. And you see the power of love, you see the power of belonging in Jesus' life 
as it pertains to Zacchaeus' life. He just goes crazy with generosity, and he gives back more than he had to, and his life has changed. The ultimate place of belonging is at the table. So if you have communion this morning, wherever you are, you can go ahead and grab uh, the elements that represent the body and the blood. But we just want to take a moment this morning. There will be a couple prompts on the screen uh, for you at home that just ask about belonging. Because right here in this table, it's a table where everybody gets a seat, everybody's invited to be a part, and it starts with what Jesus has done for us. So you don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to act like Jim Hinkle or Josh Ross or Kip Long. You just come to Jesus, you sit at the table, you feast with him, and then you just keep spending more and more time with him, and Jesus will change you. Belonging changes, and I think that's how we help people see Jesus. So I'm going to lead a prayer, and you can reflect on these questions for a minute or two, uh, and after a time of reflection and silence, Randy Frederick, one of our shepherds, will come, and he'll close our, our time of worship together. So let's pray. God, thank you for loving us first. Thank you for letting us belong to you and you choosing to initiate that. Thank you for seeing us, for knowing us by name, and for spending time with us. God, you are so full of grace and mercy and love. Help us to be so full of grace and mercy and love as we ingest the body and the blood of Jesus uh, that, that judgment, uh, that malice, that anger, uh, that there's no room because we're so full of the love of Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.